Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people that create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. I really only have one note for you today, which is an exciting one. The fifth annual Closure Conj conference will take place from November 20th to 22nd in 2014, and that's at the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. So we're back again in D.C. this year. Very, very exciting. Uh, you can check out uh, closure-conj.org for more details. We'll be posting those as we get them. Uh, conj is C-O-N-J, in case you weren't aware. Um, so that's closure-conj.org. Check that out. Uh, we certainly hope to see you there. Um, but that's all I have for announcements today, so we'll go ahead and go on to episode 56 of the Cognicast. Welcome, everyone, to the Cognicast. Today is Friday, April 25th, 2014, and our guest today is Jen Iluk. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thanks for having me, Craig. Oh, we're thrilled, actually. Uh, so we start the show with a song. You were kind enough to send me your selections before the show, but let's go ahead and share with the listeners what they have been listening to as the show began. Um, that was Airborne by The Pack AD. They are a couple of lovely ladies from Vancouver, BC, and I just found them a couple weeks ago and really, really loved them and thought I'd share some good Canadian music with you. <laughs> awesome. Love it. I don't know if, I don't know if anybody's uh, picked a song yet that we've called out as specifically Canadian. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that's awesome. No, that's great. I always, I love just, you know, it's fun for me. I say this a lot, but it's true. It's fun for me to hear um, all sorts of different stuff. And I don't know if you've listened to the show or not, but one thing I've said in, in, is that I put all the songs that people pick, I put them in my my playlist so uh, when i'm listening to my music collection i'll put it on shuffle a lot and things will just come up you know whatever will come up stuff that i would normally never ever listen to it's just kind of a kind of a fun surprise when that happens yeah that's awesome cool well enough about me let's talk about you so i, I wonder if you maybe could start with um, an introduction of yourself to those who may not know you sure um i'm a junior developer with democracy works inc we make turbovote.org which um, makes it really easy for people to register to vote. And then we remind them of upcoming elections. So hopefully they actually vote as well. And we're building some other things. We're building ballot tracking software in Clojure. So that's what I'm doing these days. Previously, let's see, last year I went to G School, which is a six month Ruby on Rails program in Denver. And before that, I was not in technology at all. My, my previous life was construction and hospitality, um, mainly living living up in Vail, Colorado, being a ski bum. So G School was really my my entrance into technology. So that is a fascinating introduction and really, I mean, a, a very good precis of, of uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, which is I think 
you know, you started off by saying, I am a junior developer, which you've had a, just a, and you touched on this a bit, you've had a really interesting path into technology and, and done some stuff that uh, is relevant to all sorts of things that have been talked about lately and that we've talked about on the show. And we'll and you mentioned a few of them, including G School. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, actually, maybe, maybe let's start there, since I think that was kind of how you wound up jumping in. Although I, I wonder a bit before you talk about G School itself, if you could, I don't know. It, it, I don't want to press you on it to share anything you know, <laughs> personal. But what, what was what was kind of the the thing that nudged you into technology from being as as you describe it, a ski bum? Yeah, so I was living up in Vail, and I uh, just really loved living there, skier, hiker, mountain biker, everything. And, you know, there's just not a lot of great jobs up there. There are a few, but generally there's a lot of just, you know, low-paying service jobs and people working two or three jobs just to be able to afford to live there. And I was working for the Ritz-Carlton Bachelor Gulch and was laid off and was sort of fed up with the idea of just trying to find whatever the best job was at the time, some administrative support position that, you know, was probably a little boring and a little just sort of not challenging enough. And I started looking into other opportunities and I, you know, very quickly found RailsBridge. And there was a, a RailsBridge open, I think like within the next five days or something in Denver. And so I signed up for it and went down to Denver and stayed the night so I could do the two-day course. And that was really the first time I'd ever programmed um, a long time ago, maybe a decade ago. I played around with Dreamweaver a little bit, but I really hadn't done any development, really hadn't even done HTML and CSS stuff at all. Went down to RailsBridge, just sort of wanting to check it out. And, you know, I didn't really know much about the development community. Um, I guess I kind of figured that there were less women in it, but I didn't really know that that was such a big problem. But this, you know, was pretty clearly a comfortable zone to go be in a bunch of women. I really thought more than anything, I'd probably just network a lot and learn about technology. I didn't expect to really code since I didn't know anything about it. And I left at the end of RailsBridge with a little, a little web app. So it was great. It was fun. So that was kind of my, my first foray into any kind of development. And then while I was down there, I, I found out about G school and, and signed up for that. So I, there's a couple of things. I, maybe I'll come back to that though. I kind of want to, because the, the G school thing I, I find really, really interesting because you, you know, you said it's six months long. I wonder if you could uh, talk a bit about like what that whole process is, is like. And I, I don't even really know that much about the program. So if you'd be willing to explain that a bit too, that'd be great. Sure. So it's six months, full stack Ruby on rails, you know, front and back end. And they really, I think the thing that sets that program apart is the focus on pure Ruby at the beginning. So we did, I think it was eight weeks of pure Ruby without touching Rails at all. And, you know, a lot of other coding schools and, you know, the quote unquote boot camps out there, they, you know, some of them, their whole program is eight weeks long. And for eight weeks, we just focused on pure Ruby without even touching Rails. So that was probably one of the biggest things that stands out about that program. But basically, it was full-time, Monday through Friday, with evenings and weekends, also um, not as classroom setting, but as working on projects. So it was a lot of like learn by doing. So there were some classroom lectures, but mostly we actually just were on Teams and were actually building web apps. So it was probably 60 to 70 hours a week 
for that six months as well. So it was pretty hardcore. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So I, how does the program work? I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, it seems like it, is this somehow sponsored? I mean, obviously six months mm. is a big commitment for anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely a cost to it. And I think a lot of people focus on that as being the, the biggest hardship getting into it. But really, how do you live for six months without an income? Because you cannot have a part time job going through a program like that, even, you know, you really need to be focused. So my personal case, I was actually on unemployment. And the state of Colorado not only let me stay on unemployment because I was in an approved training program, but they gave me additional unemployment benefits. So there is actually a bonus sort of for me to to do that. So that is what enabled me to actually pay for <laughs> rent and groceries while I was in the, the program. And I also got a grant from the state. So between the payment plan, the school offered us, we, you know, we had to pay some amount up front. And then... We, you know, after the program ended, we had uh, monthly payments kick in. Um, so I got a grant from the state that kind of let me pay my deposit up front. And now I'm paying the tuition every month. And the school also gave most of us uh, scholarships. The scholarships came from companies that, that made donations to support us. So that was, you know, that was pretty great. I have to imagine you made some pretty good friends there. I mean, that sounds like the sort of thing where when you go through it with a group, you wind up pretty tight. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, during the program itself, I think it was pretty stressful for everybody. And so, you know, we definitely formed friendships, but we didn't spend a lot of time just hanging out and having fun during the program, which is kind of unfortunate, but very understandable. I mean, if you would get a day off, finally, you just kind of would want to be, <laughs> you know, sure. in, the, in the fetal position on the couch. <laughs> right, so, right. Um, so it's kind of nice now that we're out of the program to see us, you know, make efforts to actually get together. And yeah, I definitely have people, I mean, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And, you know, absolutely the other people that went through it feel the same way. And, you know, I think we all definitely, you know, sort of went through that experience together and now we sort of appreciate seeing each other and we can relate to each other better, that kind of thing. Do you think it's a good way to learn? I mean, that's it's very intensive and you know, I think there are opinions one way or the other whether that kind of pedal mm -hmm. the metal approach is right or not. Do you think that was a good way, at least for you, to learn? Yeah. Um, yes and no. I think yeah, it was definitely the whole time I felt overwhelmed. I mean, there was not a time where I was like, oh, this is fine. This is just, you know, this is just rolling along. It was definitely drinking from the fire hose. But I think and so I think because you never kind of feel like, oh, you understand every single thing. And, and every time somebody explains a new concept, you totally understand it the first time. You, you also have raised the bar a lot. So if they had not pushed us that hard, you know, I don't think we would have learned as much either. So even though we had this gap of like, here's everything we could have learned, but here's what we really absorbed while we were in the program. And there was still maybe, you know, for everybody, that gap was different at the end. And some had a very small gap. But I think if we had not pushed ourselves that hard, we never would have learned what we did. I think, I think it really set a really high bar for us. And, and I think it was good motivation for future, like our work ethic. And I think, you know, really everybody had a really strong work ethic in the program. And that was very apparent. I think if you didn't, then you would have quit probably pretty soon because it was, it was pretty intense. However, like we sort of were like, I don't know, like battle tested almost now. <laughs> and so if we have to, you know, really work hard at work, you know, because we have deadlines or whatever, it doesn't seem 
crazy because we, we, you know, we worked a lot hard, harder in G school and you're doing it for yourself, right? Like you're not doing it for an employer. You're doing it because you want to be there. And that's, that's a great motivator. So again, I'm apologize. I'm not familiar with the, uh, with the program. Does it have, so you'd mentioned RailsBridge, which obviously has a focus on serving women. Does, does G school have any kind of a focus like that? Or is it, is it purely for everybody? Well, uh, the a team that ran the G school that I went to, um, it's now a different team, was Jumpstart Lab, and they absolutely were concerned with diversity, and that was absolutely something that they were looking for in their students. So we had, um, I think it was about a f- one fifth of the class was women, and you know we definitely had other minority groups as well. So there was a lot of diversity in my class, which was great because again, kind of coming in naive to the whole kind of diversity problem in the community. Like my first experience in technology was this really diverse group of people. And it's almost made it, you know, even more apparent now, now that I'm out of it, I I noticed the the lack of diversity even more, I think, because of that. Sure. Now, one of the things that we've talked about on the show, like when we had Bridget on was that there, the value in diversity comes from in a, in a number of ways, but one of them is that diversity of thought uh, that just arises out of diversity of, of background um, or gender or you know other factors. So, so it's, I know I'm asking you to draw a line through two points basically, right? Which is a tough extrapolation to do, but I'm sure you're working with wonderful people. But is that something you've noticed, like in the in the in the very diverse group you were in versus the industry that's that's less so. Have you have you noticed that difference? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, actually, that was something that was even on my radar before technology. Yeah. I worked for a startup modular manufacturer, a builder of modular buildings in Washington State a few years ago, and we had a really diverse team. It was definitely the most diverse team I'd work, worked with, and that was the big thing that was apparent to me was diversity of thought. And just different personality types. You know, we had introverts, we had extroverts, and we had people from overseas. And it was um, it was such a good experience. And so I think that that's always kind of been on my radar. And now, you know, the development team that I am on now is is uh, fairly small. We're we're six developers, so it's not huge. But we have we have some you know we have a little diversity on our team. And yeah, I would think I would say. I'm probably lucky in that I think I still have that is going well for me. Um, and I don't, I haven't really worked on a team yet, you know, that, that maybe had less diversity and therefore less of that sort of different, different ideas and thoughts and perspectives. It's definitely something I look for, you know, or like I watch out for, but you know, I guess it's, so I've only been in, in, in this world just over a year. <laughs> right. Yeah. So and it's always hard in any event to say what might have happened to you, right? Exactly, so. yeah. Okay, well, that's that's fair. I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts there, and I appreciate you sharing them. So I want to shift gears a little bit because you are now working in Clojure. You, you're at TurboVote. You're working on uh, balloting software, I, I, I believe is the case. Is that yeah, about- ballot, ballot tracking ballot for tracking. county clerk's offices, yes. So how has – I mean, you, you studied Rails, and Ruby is – is a language that in the spectrum of languages is actually somewhat akin to Clojure. Now you're presumably doing Clojure all or most of your time. How is that? It's fascinating to me to talk to you because a lot of the people that I that I work with, you know, they're not new to programming even, even when they are new to Clojure. 
and you're relatively new to both. Um, so I, mm -hmm. I wonder how that's been for you. Yeah. Um, well, I was really excited to start learning closure because I think I've had a hard time with, with some stuff in object oriented programming, but you know, so trying functional was just sort of a great exercise and Hey, does this click better with my brain? And sometimes it does, but you know, programming is just hard and there's a lot, I'm a very like three dimensional person, very visual person. I, I could probably like tear down a car engine easier than I can program. And so uh, there's still so much that is difficult about both, both languages, just in different ways. And also great about both languages, just in different ways. I'm not doing closure hundred percent of the time. I am doing a lot of Ruby too, but I'll sort of get on a kick doing one or the other. And then when I go back to the, the other language, it's can be a hard adjustment the first day because sort of I feel like yesterday I just all of a sudden was doing like a bunch of R spec tests and and Ruby and I haven't really written written any R spec tests in a few weeks and it just at first you feel like the dumbest person in the world you're like oh my god do I not know Ruby anymore uh -huh. <laughs> um, and you know it just takes me a, a couple hours to sort of get back in the the swing of things and start thinking you know back in that that other realm so jumping between the two is is a little tough. In, but in, in, in other ways, it helps you learn. If there's a concept that I am not getting in Clojure, sometimes I'll ask, like, how would we have approached this in Rails just to sort of compare it? And, and sometimes that helps the idea click and vice versa. Sometimes there's something in Ruby that I've struggled with. And then, you know, once I see it in Clojure and just see the same concepts approached in these different ways is kind of reinforces the concept itself. Um, so that's kind of fun, but yeah, it is. It is also tough to to try to learn both. Are those the only two languages that you've spent significant time with? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, they really are. I haven't even really been spending as much time with JavaScript as I I should be. Well, I I count you among the lucky then. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I've I mean, worked. Yeah, go ahead. I'll have to I'll have to learn it really at some point. Like it's. I mean, I've done a little bit of it, but no, I, I really do. I do need to learn it. Oh, sorry, my comment was not meant as as disparaging oh. <laughs> towards JavaScript, but more in the in the sense that if you if your journey uh, uh, through programming started in Clojure and uh, and Ruby, then yeah, those are way less yucky languages than the ones that I started out on. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. I think yeah, I'm definitely very lucky. So, do you find the thing that I found when I was starting out in Clojure that as I started to learn Clojure, it really affected the way I programmed in C. And for me, it was C Sharp, the other language that I'd primarily used. Have you found that your Ruby is becoming more functional? Oh, I don't know, actually. I, I should go back and kind of look at some of the commits I've made and see if I can see that. I haven't, I haven't looked for that, but that, that could be the case. Yeah, it definitely, definitely happened to me. I mean, uh, in fact, to the, to the extent where, and this was quite a while ago, so functional, and in the Microsoft world where the functional bug wasn't quite as widespread as it is these days to the extent that it is. We actually had people complain to us that our code was weird, right? Because hmm. we were using a lot of, um, uh, in C Sharp, there's a thing called Link, the language integrated query, which really is the, you know, uh, map filter reduce trio stuff. And and once you kind of get that, uh, as I'm sure you've um, uh, at least begun to notice, it's super useful. And <laughs> we were using yeah. it all over the place. And people are like, what are you doing? So um, that's interesting. Okay, I, that, I'd be curious to hear... As you um, as you continue to progress, whether uh, whether you find that to be true, because it certainly was true for me and continues to be true for me. Where if I go work somewhere else, I I tend to do things in a in a way that draws from some of the things that I've done in Closure. Right. So I, I wonder if you have any advice for people out there that are um, getting. I, I suspect there's quite a few people in our audience who 
are interested in Clojure who haven't had a chance to start using it yet, but maybe they have some questions about, well, I don't know, it's kind of a big jump. I haven't really immersed myself yet. It's interesting, but I don't know if I want to commit to, you know, really going all in. And obviously, like you, to a very great extent, you know, put your um, your time, you know, where your mouth was. Like you went, you went in both feet. You like completely changed career t- tracks, took a big risk, shifted your life in dramatic ways. I wonder if you have any advice for people who are out there who are contemplating m- making, for example, closure a bigger part of their um, professional experience. Yeah, I think that whenever you're thinking about exploring something that you shouldn't be too hung up on the idea that, well, it's only worth doing if this turns out amazing. And, you know, part of, you know, going for a hike in the woods is not necessarily about like finding that perfect waterfall at the end of it. It's sort of just exploring. You don't know what you're going to find. You don't know if you're going to like this area or not. You know, there might be dangerous parts of the trail and you have to decide, do I navigate that or not? So I think whenever, you know, in technology, I think there's a lot, there's so many opinions about like, what's the best language? You know, what's the best way to do this? And I think that that influences us more than we realize. And we sort of take it to heart and we sort of, you know, we keep hearing about people talk about closure and they seem really happy about it. I would say the same, same thing about Go. I feel like everybody I've, I've heard from that has tried Go has really liked it. So I think, you know, if you can just maybe set a couple of hours aside and say, I'm going to work through this tutorial, figure out what some some tutorials are out there that look like they're going to fit your style, work through them and just explore it and don't have a big necessarily, you know, goal at the end of it other than just learning more about it. And I think it would be good for all of us. Like, I think it would be good for me to, you know, explore a little bit of Python and PHP just to know like more about that language just so when people talk about it I have a better idea of you know the the lingo that they're throwing around so yeah that that would be my advice is you know not make it into such a big deal but but just explore it be open-minded and then also you know if you have a little personal project that you want to do that's really motivating so it's really motivating to learn something just to just to be able to accomplish the end goal of what that project really is not as much of just learning that language so that can be a really great way to sort of keep you going in a new language if, you know, really, I want this thing to be done at the end of it. I think that's great advice. And I know I'm definitely um, prone to the the failing you mentioned of, you know, oh, I'd really have to learn Haskell. I think you're absolutely right. I really probably should stop making it something where I have to go off and learn the whole language or whatever. But just right. just anything, right? Just even if it's a little bit or or, or a... I'm using air quotes here, always good on a podcast, a failure, right? I think that's excellent advice. Yeah, I think like right now I've noticed that with data science. So Clojure is really good at data science and I keep hearing about data science this and data science that. And I think, well, you know, I, I probably should know a little bit about data science, especially if I really like Clojure. Um, and so I started looking into like how to learn that, what, how do you get started? And everything I find is basically like how to become a data scientist. So, well, I don't really want to go that far with it. I just want to learn, you know, a good amount to be be a better programmer. What is that amount? And it's really hard to figure out because everything sort of takes you all the way to, you know, you're a full, full-fledged data scientist. So it's kind of hard to sort of, like, limit that stuff a little bit and sort of say, like, well, I, I want to start learning it enough to be competent. Yeah, this is interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last night, actually my college roommate, and he's a professor at the University of Minnesota, and uh, he is uh, currently doing a sabbatical at Woods Hole. 
really interesting stuff. But he was talking to me about the fact that he's doing um, some work in MATLAB to extract some information from some data they're collecting. And it, it occurred to me that it, I've thought before, it would be really wonderful if we could, in some sense, like attach a programmer to a number of different people who have really useful skills, but who would get a force multiplier out of having somebody who could do the actual you know, coercion of the computer. Now, there's multiple ways to go about that. We could actually also find a way to make programming easier so that my friend could do the work himself. But if, you know, if I could say, I've got a pool of people that really, you know, want to get, know enough about data science to be useful working with data, but not necessarily become a data science. It seemed like if I could put those two groups of people together, that we could do some really cool things. Because, you know, as as you're well aware, you know, once you know programming, you're you're not just a little bit more effective using a computer. You can do things that are quite literally impossible for someone without that training and knowledge to do. Yeah, that sound that would be so much fun, honestly, to just be paired with somebody who was kind of like that domain expert, and you could sort of wield the programming skills, and they could wield their skills. That would be fun. That would be next level pairing kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, um, and, and the thing is, though, it's interesting to me is that I think there's a certain sense in which the work that you're engaged in is is that somewhat. I mean, you're you're essentially working to create a product that will help people conduct fair elections, which is not quite the same thing as sitting next to a scientist, but at the same time is enabling people to do things with mountains of data, vote as data, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Yeah, that's true. And I think a problem I see in technology is our sort of, sometimes I think we have blinders on to the real world and we focus so much on the libraries and the tools and the languages and, you know, do we TDD or not? And all these things that we sort of lose sight of the people and the problems that we're actually trying to create value for. And so I think that it's, I think as, as, as much as possible as a developer, if you have a better connection with whoever that group of people is that you're driving value for, customers or, or what have you, um, I think you're better off because really at the end of the day, like if we, if we you wield the coolest and the, you know, the best technology and the neatest libraries and cutting edge shit, and it's not making the lives of voters any easier, then we fail. Like it doesn't matter how amazing that perfect language was that we picked. And if we use libraries that are kind of mundane and everybody's using them and they're not really all that sexy and exciting, but we're actually, you know, getting people to the polls and they're actually voting, then we've won. So I, I think it is, you know, a kind of a nice balance of, you know, making our lives more enjoyable and satisfying and rewarding as developers with the technology piece and with the real world piece. Are you, so what, that, I think that's a great point. I, I wonder if there's anything that you've come across is a way to keep you um, mindful of that in your work. I mean, you know, like you said, G School was this huge immersion. You've had a few pushes mm -hmm. at work where you've had to go heads down and like we all do. And uh, what are the techniques that you use during those times to kind of uh, pull yourself away from the minutia and, and keep that in mind? Well, I think it actually helps to just have some hobbies and interests that are outside of technology. I think it's really easy for us to, uh, you know, go to work 40 hours a week and then come home and 
you know, there's a lot of people that maybe want to learn closure but cannot do it at work. And so they're going to spend their evenings and weekends learning closure, which is great. And I do those kinds of things too. But I also have other hobbies that like take me out into the world, like way away from technology. I mean, I'm back up here in Bellingham and like none of my friends here are in technology, right? And, and so I'm like kind of pulled myself almost out of the technology bubble a little bit. And I'm back in this other world. You know, there you just go out and you, I don't know, see like real problems that need to be solved. And I think it just, I think that kind of stuff puts it in perspective. But I think if we sort of get too focused on just learning technology and reading code books and going through tutorials on all our spare time, then that's kind of what's, you know, we've sort of narrow-minded a little bit. We sort of have those blinders on to just what are the libraries and what are the tools. So I think just having some other interests and getting out in the real world really does help. Yeah, so, right. And that's the, the uh, I don't know, if I, I, I use the word irony and then I'm always like, wait, is that right? Because that's one of the tricky <laughs> words. But yeah. the irony maybe there is that obsession is almost pers- is almost a universal, I mean, it's at least a common personality trait among mm-hmm. you know people that are passionate about programming. And, and what mm-hmm. you're saying is that that's a double-edged sword, if I could put words in your mouth. Yes, it, it totally. And, 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 and I, it's, it's hard, I, I want to say it without like trashing anyone who's you know, spending a lot of their time doing those things. because so those are the things that they enjoy doing. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not, I'm not yeah, saying, right. well, people shouldn't study on the weekends and they should go boating or something instead. Uh, you know, I, it's just, we, we, we need ba- I mean, balance in our life and, and getting out. And I think, I think too, it just puts like the problems that you're trying to solve into perspective you know, I mean, sometimes apps come out and I'm like, really? Somebody thought this was like really big deal that we needed to invest a lot of resources into solving when there are people in our community without enough to eat, you know, like, (laughs) so I think, I think kind of just being exposed and being exposed to different groups of people, you know, coming from outside technology, you know, walking into a few of the meetups, you know, it's a little intimidating, you know, it's a bunch of, bunch of dudes mostly. And, Mm. you know, people that I haven't, spent a lot of time with, you know, in previous lives, different personality types and stuff. And um, you sort of have to get over that and just be a little bit uncomfortable, but get through it and realize that like, it's not that big of a deal. And most mostly, hopefully, your experience is that people treat you well and, and everything. And, and I think that sometimes when we get like, so comfortable now, we've made this nest over here. And now we're really comfortable. And it's harder to get out into those those worlds that you've never been involved in because, you know, those people are now different to you. So, but we're really, you know, I I think too, as technologists, like not only do we get, like you said, a little obsessive in a good way, um, or sometimes we take it too far, but I think we're also like not really afraid of challenges in technology, you know, like some new library comes out and people jump all over it to learn it and figure it out and play with it and change it. But I, I would like to see us do better, I guess, about doing that with our personal lives too and sort of the human human part of our jobs yeah you're absolutely right I mean certainly I I, I did this I'm not trying to you know brag but I think anybody that that goes from a mainstream language and you know takes on a, a career in something else even something like Ruby it's a big deal I mean you really mm-hmm. you're investing a lot of time you know you're you're basically accepting that you're going to be quite bad at something that maybe you were previously extremely good at I think the advice to extend that to other parts of your life is 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 really good. I mean, because look, you did it over here. What's the difference? 
Yeah, exactly. And then I think it also just creates more empathy if, if like you've never kayaked a day in your life and you take a class and you're, you're a little scared about, oh, is this thing going to tip me out? And will I be able to get back in? And am I a good enough swimmer? And it's kind of scary. I think it just really helps you, you know, have some empathy then for people that come into your world where you're the really, you know, the expert and everything is second nature to you. I think it helps, it helps you, you know, help those people along and sort of anticipate some of the, their needs and questions that they might not be sure with you yet yeah so I, I want to uh, shift gears again a bit because I remember when you and I were first introduced I was talking to Lynn uh, Grogan one day and she's and she mentioned you and um, if I recall the conversation it was a few months ago now she said that uh, you were doing um, you describe yourself as a junior programmer but I believe the word she used was an apprenticeship is that so, so I don't think we've talked about this before you and yeah. I is that something was that part of G school or something you did after G school or something you're still doing or what was that about? Yeah. So when it was coming time to job search, when I was in G school, um, I, I definitely needed more than, you know, than just that six months to, to feel comfortable enough to call myself a junior developer. So I was actually looking for apprenticeships specifically for my jobs. And I ended up, um, finding out about TurboVote, and they wanted to do an apprenticeship program. So that's what I, I think like the first seven months with them, I was considered an apprentice. Okay. So it was, um, I think the end of February when they, they sort of offered me the, the permanent junior position. And that was the talk that I delivered at Closure West this year was all about apprenticeships and why companies I think should be doing them and how to do them. And I tried to give some like very specific, concrete day-to-day -day stuff that you can do, you know, not as much just overarching motivation, but, um, yeah, so I was considered an apprentice and, you know, I still, I consider myself an apprentice and I think I probably will for the next couple of years at least, but yeah. Cool. So, so I mean, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about the, uh, and I, like I said, I know you, um, I'm a total space cadet i actually watched your closure west talk and I completely it, it all came rushing back to me as soon as you said it it was great talk and people should watch it um but for those that haven't seen it uh a they should go watch it but b i wonder if you could touch a little bit on like how the apprenticeship program worked you know uh what was it about the program that made you feel like an apprentice for example? yeah um, lowered expectations mainly. <laughs> well. Um, no, really. So they, you know, they wanted to do an apprenticeship program. So TurboVotes kind of, uh, you know, point of view on it was they were recruiting and they, you know, were having a hard time. They were going after the, you know, the same top talent that everybody else was and they're a nonprofit and they weren't always able to be as competitive with the, you know, the salary and stuff. And they just sort of saw the unsustainability of everybody trying to hire the same people. And basically, you know, the way that they were differentiating themselves was how much money they could throw at that person. So they said, you know, we don't even want to do that anymore. We're scrapping that plan. And we would like to try to grow our own. And they ended up hiring myself and another apprentice. And essentially, you know, we had two senior developers, and then they hired two apprentices. So one of the questions I got was, you know, how many apprentices can a team really handle? And I think that's going to be really specific to your team's um, ecosystem. But for us, we had, you know, 50% apprentices. But it was great because we had four people so we could pair 
a lot and we could switch who we were pairing with. And sometimes even us two apprentices would pair together and believe it or not, we would be able to push code. <laughs> cool. Um, and so, you know, there wasn't a huge structure. It was not like a formalized, you know, schedule every day or specific curriculum. We essentially were just pairing and it was great. And sort of by the uh, end of December, though, we had a lot of people taking time. And between then, we hired two more senior developers in our Brooklyn office, which is actually where our office is headquartered. And by the end of December, it was pretty quiet, you know, people taking time off and holidays and all that. And I did not really take any time off at the end of December. I took it off earlier in the month and I sort of was left to my own devices and I kind of floundered for a couple days, not really sure what to work on because I had been sort of not needing to think about it. I would just show up and we would pair on whatever we needed to pair on. And all of a sudden I was on my own and didn't really know also like where I should be focusing my learning. Should I be continuing to learn Ruby or should I just kind of, you know, put that aside for a little bit and just focus on closure? Because, you know, I also wanted to learn that and it was kind of hard to jump around between the two of them. And that's when I realized, you know, we're calling this an apprenticeship program, but there's all these other um, foundational things that we could be doing to really support the success of apprentices but we're kind of not, you know, really kind of it's a title and it's lowered expectations at this point, but we don't really have anything else to sort of, you know, support apprentices. And so that's when I sort of was thinking about like, well, what worked for me in G school? What were the things that I learned were really helpful for me to learn and keep me busy and, you know, productive and everything. And, you know, what are the other things that have just worked for me personally? And that's kind of when I put together sort of my, my suggestions for what an apprenticeship program should look like. What's your number one off that list? I mean, if there's one thing that, and maybe both sides, maybe as an apprentice, if you do nothing else, do X. And then as a an organization hoping to uh, make apprentices successful, here's the one thing. As an apprentice, if if you do nothing else, just realize that your success, you know, really is your responsibility and and don't, you know, if you get in into an apprenticeship with a company or, or a junior developer position or whatever it is, you know, don't just sort of let them drive the whole thing. Like you really need to be in charge of what's important to you, what helps you, it's going to be different for every individual. And so while if you're very lucky if they have a program all laid out, but but really own your own success and, and be doing the things that help you, you know, I haven't been doing, I haven't done any algebra since I was in high school. And really since I was like a sophomore in high school. And so that's something that I'm working on now to supplement my learning and just help, you know, mathematical thinking. Um, just to sort of support programming. And, you know, you, you really have to sort of take charge of your own success. And then as far as companies go, the number one thing, boy, that's a tough one. There's so many things that so many things that I think are unequal, equally. Well, you don't have to limit yourself to one. I mean, I just yeah. <laughs> I, whatever advice you want to give is great. Basically, I think that if you are focused on we're really trying to support these people in their learning. And we, and if we do that, they will be productive versus I think some people hire junior people and sort of sit back and watch and see if they are good enough and prove themselves in, in order to kind of stay. So I think if, if you just sort of say, you know, we are going to really support their learning and make sure that they have the resources that they need. Is that pairs? Is that solo time? Is that a combination thereof? 
you know, do they need books? You know, what, what will help them be productive members of the team? Are we integrating them? Sometimes I think it's easy to, to like treat them as other, like, oh, apprentices, you're over there. You work on that stuff. And then once you're good enough, then we'll integrate you into the team as a whole, but just sort of bringing them in from day one and, and making sure that you're just sort of really being conscientious about what resources do they need. I think that alone can really help people be successful. Hmm. That was something I was going to ask you. Oh yeah. I actually remember now because, um, this, this was something you, you mentioned you're up in Bellingham. So for how much of this, I, I, and you mentioned that TurboVote has offices in Brooklyn for how much of your kind of journey so far have you been remote? I mean, I have, I know G school was a big chunk of it and that was in one place, but are you remote now from, or are you going into an office or? I have been remote for one week. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, so we have an office in Denver at Uncubed, which is a co-working space. And we have had, you know, mainly four developers there and a data engineer, um, or like I said, our headquarters are in Brooklyn. One of the folks that has been based out of Denver is currently in Brooklyn. They used to live there and just kind of wanted to split their time a little bit. And they've been a remote, they were remote for, I think about a month. And I am just remote because one of my parents is sick. And so I'm coming up to kind of help them out for a couple months. So I, I really was not planning on going remote at all this year or that it would be important to me. But, but my, luckily the, the company has been really flexible about that. And as long as I'm online and pairing as we, we normally do, it's cool. So I, I'm only going to be up here for a couple of months and then I'll be back in Denver myself. Gotcha. Uh, what, what tools, I mean, now it's been a week, but what tools have you, are you using right now as far as remote pairing? Yeah, mainly we use um, Screen Hero and Zoom.us for meetings. So we, we really struggled with Google Hangouts. We kept trying to use it. We were always having problems with it. And we finally just gave up on it entirely. And Zoom has been awesome for, for video conferences um, and, and screen sharing, too in like sort of demo days and that kind of thing. And then as far as actual pairing goes, typically we use Screen Hero and it's been really great, especially now they have another, a new feature where you can swap really quickly whose who's screen you're sharing mm -hmm. instead of having to end the call and start a new one. So that's really nice. And if we need separate voice, we'll often use FaceTime. Okay. Yeah. Are you, so when you screen share is that, are you sharing like somebody's local session or do you have a TMUX session running somewhere or... I think some people are using like Emacs and stuff with their closure. And so they're using Tmux, but typically I've just been sharing my desktop and using, you know, my regular terminal and either sublime or Lighttable. I've been trying to learn Lighttable instead of Emacs for, um, well, for obvious reasons, but also because closure bridge is using Lighttable, And mm -hmm. so I definitely want to be familiar enough with that so that, you know, when I'm at a workshop, I can help, help people with Lighttable specifically. Right. So now this, you mentioned Closure Bridge, and, and we talked a lot about Closure Bridge on the podcast before, but your name came up when I was talking to Bridget on the show, and, and she said that you had some good perspective on, on Closure Bridge because of your experience with RailsBridge, which you mean, you know, you're the, you're the success case. You're the, you're the poster child, if I may use that expression. You know, the, that is, in a sense, I think, I, I can't, I guess I can't really speak for Closure Bridge, but that's what I assume people would hope for is, that someone is able to use it to launch themselves into new opportunities that work for them. So I, I wonder if you can give any perspective on ClojureBridge specifically based on your experience with, with RailsBridge and what you've seen happen so far with ClojureBridge. Yeah, I, I think that, so when I, I said this earlier, but you know, I was coming into technology, I 
you know, if you would have asked me, are there less women in technology, I, I would have assumed that there were, but I didn't really know that there was such a dearth um, and that there were, you know, issues coming up. And when I saw that rails bridge and it was just for women, I have to say that automatically gave me a level of comfort that, you know, even without kind of understanding the issues and technology that, that I had just sort of, it just automatically felt safe. And so for us to be offering that sort of same safe space in the closure community, I think is, is pretty rad. You know, I think that, I mean, there are a lot of people out there, there are people I went to G school with that when they heard that I was doing closure, like, oh, you're so lucky. And I was like, you know, you can learn it too, even if you're not doing it at work, but it's hard to get started. And, and I think we generally, especially if we're pairing a lot, I think we, you know, we like working directly with, with other humans to learn, right. Instead of just learning everything in isolation. So, you know, closure bridge has a great group of, there's so many people that are making it happen. Like I'm so overwhelmed with how many people are genuinely interested in, in making it happen at closure conch, uh, Bridget ran an unsession on closure bridge and I went and I was so pleased to see a packed room full of people, you know, that were really, really excited about it. You know, people have been working really hard on it, the curriculum and everything, getting that put together. Uh, there's a, a level of commitment here that I think, you know, folks that are coming in and, and getting a free, you know, two day workshop are really, really lucky that, that they have, you know, all these people that are really committed to making it happen. It is a lot of work. I know, um, just to call out one person among many, I know Clinton Dreisbach has been working on the the labs, I don't know if you've ever tried to write, I know you, obviously you did a presentation, I don't know if you've ever tried to write labs specifically. They are a huge pain and the, and the instructions he had put together are painstakingly detailed. They're yep. incredibly useful, you know, especially since the, the task is essentially, here's someone who may never have ever opened up the terminal or command prompt on their machine before. Let's get them instructions in sufficient detail to be able to program. It's great. Yeah, it's it's a really daunting task. It, it really, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So Clinton, thank you for <laughs> yes. all your hard work. Everybody. Yeah. Wow. You have had such a fascinating journey. This is, I mean, this is really why I wanted to talk to you because, I mean, you you mentioned you were in the hospitality and um, construction industries previously, which you know I don't think there's much even possibility of remote work there. I would imagine, and not having <laughs> done it myself, but you know, if you're at a hotel or or something, you know or a restaurant, you can't really phone yeah. it in. So, so you've obviously, I mean, that's just one of the tiny ways in which you've really changed things around. I'm just so fascinated. I mean, you've obviously grabbed the bull by the horns and, and, and taken real advantage of the opportunities. I wonder if looking back though, over the last, I guess, did you really start this journey a year ago or was it a little bit more than that? I was the, well, I went to that rails bridge in, I think it was December 1st, okay, 2012. And <laughs> so then I started G school at the end of January, 2013. Okay. So yeah, a year and a half at this little, point. Wow. Like that. So that's, I mean, my, you know, my programming, my professional programming career is now um, about 20 years long. So to, to talk to you is, is, you know, I don't try to say this without sounding condescending because I really don't mean it that way. <laughs> but like, it's cool that someone who's as new to it as you are is doing so well and able to talk about it so intelligently and very clearly destined for um, success. It's just really, really neat to me. But uh, I, wonder, I wondered if looking back over this, you know, brief period, if there's anything that, you know, you would do differently or, or advice that, I mean, I, mean, I think we kind of covered that, but is there anything that you would go back and tell yourself at the beginning? You're like, you should do X or not do X. 
I would say you're not the dumbest person in the world. (laughs) You know, like, I think that's what I was going to say, you know, another piece of advice to, you know, apprentices out there is, you know, still like programming is so hard, right? And it's hard for very experienced people, but I have days where I'm like, oh my God, should I be doing this at all? This is ridiculous. And, And then I remember like, okay, I've only been doing this a year and a half. Like, it's fine, right? I will get there. It just takes time. Like, and so, God, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it was, I think I'm, I'm better when I just sort of throw myself in and go all in. Mm. And, you know, so many things in my life sort of fell into place for that to happen for me. So if I had to go back in time, I would still do it. Um, I guess I would just tell myself, like, you know, you'll get through it. You, you know, you'll get a job (laughs) and you'll get uh, the promotion to junior. You won't be, you know asked to leave at the end of your apprenticeship or what, what have you, um, just sort of those motivational things, because I think we're always so scared, you know, that the rug is going to get pulled out from under us because we're new and we're still kind of terrible at this and, and that kind of stuff. But it, you know, it just takes time and just, you have to just keep trying. And, you know, the worst possible case scenario was that, you know, it, it didn't work out and I didn't get a job, but I still had this great exposure to technology and I still understood it a lot more and I would still have used that knowledge in some capacity. Um, so, yeah. I wonder if I could um, modify your advice to, to, or maybe give you advice on your advice, which was, sure. I, I, and, and I know you were speaking extemporaneously, but you said you'll get there. I, I actually think I might say that you should actually rather savor the feeling of not being there yet. Because I think, although you talked about specific milestones and it's good to, to have confidence that you'll achieve them. You know, after 20 years, I, I definitely am in a place right now where <laughs> I occasionally ask myself the questions that you mentioned, right? Which is, oh, geez, you know, am I, am I any good at this? And, you mm-hmm. know, I, I mean, I, they come up briefly for me. I, I think I, I, have generally conquered those demons. But at the same time, I think it's a good sign. Like the fact that you don't, I don't think you want to get to a place where you are 100% comfortable that you know everything because that's, and I don't think you were saying that, but I mean, just like to savor, to savor that uncomfortableness as a sign that you're still learning and to, and to always be learning. I think it's, it's a really useful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that's so great about development is that you 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 know you'll never know everything and never. there's there's always ways that you can challenge yourself you know and if you really knew everything about every language then you could go write a new one you know there's there's always something um and also too like we should be okay with some failure too like um you know I did not come out of G school like killing it you know getting a job at Pivotal Labs I I definitely had to modify my goal. When I, when I come out of this, my goal is an apprenticeship, not a junior developer position. And if you're not, you know, there's all kinds of motivational sayings out there. You know, if you're not failing at anything, then you're probably not trying at anything. (laughs) And so too, like take those failures in stride and learn from them and you can still persevere and you can still move forward. And, you know, sometimes life says, nope, that's not the direction you're going. And it shifts for you almost. And, and I think you should listen to that. And I think that you should, you know, not, not be too disappointed in yourself if your specific goal was not reached and you had to change it along the way either, you know, you can, you can still keep learning and you still can work towards that goal, even if you didn't meet it in time or what have you. 
So that's actually a good segue to my next question, which is what's next? I mean, I, here you are at the beginning of your career. You know, where, where do you see yourself in five years, Jen? No, but, you know, what's yeah. your kind of uh, do you have one? Yeah, I mean, I think I yeah, have been a little more short sighted. You know, I when I was coming out of G school, I was, you know, I think at the end of G school, Jeff Casimir, one of the teachers asked, like, where do you see yourself in a year? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I really am worried about getting a job right now. And, you know, I'm not really sure where I'll be in a year. So, you know, right now, closure to me feels like my future. I enjoy it. I've really loved being in the community. You know, it's the only two conferences so far I've been to are closure conferences. I really love it. So I would like to continue going down that road of being a closure developer. You know, I, re- I have had some, uh, some medical problems. And so I actually would really love to figure out how to harness my programming skills in like medical research areas. And I have, I have no exposure to that whatsoever, other than reading a lot of medical studies. So um, that's, you know, another thing I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I learn a little bit more about data science? How can I use programming, you know, it potentially with labs of some kind? So that's, that's kind of the stuff that I'm working towards. Awesome. I, yeah. I, I mean, that's no, you, you are drawn to noble causes. I mean, you're helping people vote. You want to help medical science. I think that's, that's great because programming is a superpower, as you've, as I'm sure realized. It's, yep. you know, we mentioned before, you can do things that are otherwise impossible for people without that knowledge. So, yeah, it's um, cool. Well, um, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll uh, we probably should start wrapping up, but I do want to make sure that we have time, save time here at the end to talk about anything that you'd like to talk about that, that didn't come up yet. Uh, I don't know if you have any projects or appearances or, or any other things that you want to make people aware of. Um, I will be delivering my apprenticeships talk again at Burlington Ruby in August, and I'm really excited about that. That'll be my first Ruby conference and my first time in Vermont. Um, And it's great because at Closure West, I got a lot of questions after my session, and so I'm including, you know, the information that people were asking me about in my talk, so hopefully I'll be answering some of those questions for people, and boy, I think that's about it. Cool. Yeah. Um... Awesome. Well, then I'll ask you one more question, uh, which you have already answered, but we'll share the answer with our listeners now, which is, uh, uh, what song should we play on the way out? Oh, well, this uh, this goes out to the apprentices out there. When you're having a hard day and you think that you're the dumbest person in the world, don't think that way. You're not. You're very smart. That even that you're trying to program says a lot about who you are as a person. Um, so this is just a little cheesy pop motivation. It's Roar by Katy Perry. All right. All right. Great, great, great. Um, it's getting harder and harder with every passing show to remember uh, what all the songs have been, but I'm pretty sure there hasn't been any Katy Perry yet. So that's, that's awesome. I figured. And like I said, you're going to, um, and I don't mean this in any negative sense, you're going to make me listen to it too. So that's, that's cool. Definitely no Katy Perry in my collection, which tends to run a little bit more to in other directions, I will say. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. More diversity in my music as well. Well, thanks a ton for coming on the show, Jen. I, I um, had heard a bit about your story from other people. We had kind of kicked around the idea, you and I, of, of doing a little video project. That just didn't happen for various reasons. And so I'm, I'm very, very glad that you were able to take the time today to come on and speak with us about your super interesting experience. You know, we've had a number of very, very, very experienced closures on the show, you know, all the way up to Rich himself. And I think that your perspective is is valuable as it is in and of itself makes for a fascinating addition to the to the pantheon of, of closure enthusiasts that we've had on the show. So thanks a ton for coming on. 
thank you, Craig, for having me. That was, those were very kind words. And I hope, yeah, I hope any of that is helpful to other people. And uh, thank you, everybody who listened today. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, uh, we will uh, thank Jen one more time. This has been the Cognicast. You have been listening to The Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech, Inc., whom you can find on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. Our guest today was Jen Iluk on Twitter at 7Maples. That's the number 7, M-A-P-L-E-S. The Cognicast is produced with help from Alex Miller, Alex War, Damian Mack, David Shalimsky, Jamie Kite, Justin Getlin, Lake Denman, Luke Vanderhart, Lynn Grogan, Mark Phillips, Michael Fogus, Ryan Neufeld, Sam Mumbach, Sandy Ezel, and Stuart Sierra. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. Yeah.